We get it right away. Maybe because we've heard this music before, maybe because we're simply in the swing of things, maybe because we know the title, The Elephant. In this case, the music was first, the words came later. Elephants are useful friends, equipped with handles at both ends. They have a wrinkled moth-proof hide, their teeth are upside down outside. If you think the elephant preposterous, you probably never have seen a rhinoceros. Words of poet Ogden Nash added long after Camille Saint-Saëns had composed the music as part of his suite, The Carnival of the Animals. As we learn from Catherine Allwine Bascomot of Columbia, Leonard Bernstein explained in one of his young people's concerts, the first and simplest way that music can be amusing is simply by imitating nature. It's one of the oldest ways of making you laugh, by imitating things. And so much of the charm of the Carnival of the Animals comes from the composer's witty way with braying mules and bringing them to life before our very ears. We learn further that one of Sanson's contemporaries at the Paris Conservatoire believed that a cat should have also been represented in the suite. In fact, he felt so strongly about this that he planned to compose his own sequel to The Carnival of the Animals, but abandoned the project when he wasn't able to find sufficient real-life examples of the kinds of calls from street cats he wanted to use as models for his sounds. Well, c'est ça. Here now is a street cat. Paul Salerni had cats when he was a lad, but it's a good bet that the mewing of his little kitties had little to do with this delight. And the scent of catnip has gone to my head. I'll wait by the screen door till dawn. And the scent of catnip has gone to my head. I'll wait by the screen door till dawn. It's Alley Cat Love Song, words by poet Dana Joya, set by Paul Salerni, part of a cycle of songs titled Bad Pets, in which Salerni brings to life a dog, a cat, a cow, not just with wit and whimsy, but with empathy and full respect for the poets creating the scenes so much deeper and richer than the Carnival of the Animals. We're hearing mezzo-soprano Jessica Bowers and guitarist Oren Fader. And it's perhaps this very song and this very cycle of songs that created something exciting in their lives. The full moon lights my whiskers fire and the fur goes on my spine. They write, We love Paul Salerni ever since our first collaboration in 2016 when we first played Bad Pets. We knew we had found something special. Paul has written more music for us than any other composer, and we love its humanity, humor, and range of expression. That's just it. Paul Salerni's music is characterized by its humanity, humor, 
its depth and range of expression. He is the NEH Distinguished Chair in Humanities and Professor of Music at the Lehigh University in Bethlehem. He received a PhD in composition from Harvard University, where he studied with the esteemed composer Earl Kim. Paul Salerni, People, Places, and Pets, is the title of a newly released album on the Bridge label, featuring the Bowers Fader duo. We had a chance to speak by Zoom with Dr. Salerni about the album and what it means to him to work with poetry and inspired performers. I knew Orin first because uh, when I went to make a CD called Touched, which had a lot of music for guitar, flute, singer, and quartet, I asked Lehigh Valley's wonderful flutist, Robin Connie, who she would like to play with because I knew she had toured with, with a guitarist and a singer, Eastern Europe, I think even, even into the Mideast. And she said, oh, there's no doubt this guy's the best, Oren Fader. And I said, okay, I'll hire him. And he, and he came and he did, he did this, this CD, he did a wonderful job. And then at some point he was at home and he, he kept singing Alley Cat Love Song. And his wife, Jessica Bowers, who's a mezzo soprano said, what are you singing? That's a really catchy tune. I want to sing that tune. I said, oh, that's the tune I just recorded with Jan Opelak and Robin Connie. You know, it's, it's Paul Salerni's tune. So, well, c- can I sing it? Because they were doing a concert at the Old Westbury Gardens on Long Island. So they decided they would do Bad Pets and the mezzo voice range is similar to baritone. So it worked just, just fine. And once I heard them do it and I had the experience of being in the same room with them as they worked together on the music and to hear how brilliantly Jessica understood the text, how she delivered the text, the quality of her voice. I said, oh, I'm going to write for you guys all the time. And that's that's how I got started. And, and as it says on the CD, within about three or four months, I had written four different song cycles for them. And, you know, and I, they like to say that I'm kind of the father of the duo because I wrote enough music that the, each of those art song recitals they gave, they have given for five years in a row, all new music, all new music, you know, lots of it's populated by my my pieces. And, and you know, by pieces by my buddies, once they heard Jessica and Oren and realized they were going to get really terrific performances of their music, they also wanted to write for them. Tell us, though, what delight you take in creating this combination then, because it's something that they do so well when we think of art song. We think perhaps of someone standing in front of a piano, singing, leader, and all that sort of thing. What about the guitar? Well, that's interesting because, you know, every time you ask me a question, that leads me to a thought I've never had, which is that my music, and we've talked about this before, kind of straddles the line between classical music and popular music. And when you think about, especially this generation, you think about singer-songwriters, just like one person with a guitar singing. And so, so much of pop music these days is that. So I think the, the attraction was that I could straddle those worlds with this. The attraction also is that they're just such wonderful players. And, and, and also it's the idea, so, you know, so much time is spent by composers worrying about balance. I mean, the real dynamic balance. If I'm writing for a singer, are they gonna be heard? And with the guitar, you never have an issue unless you're using the electric guitar, which I do once in a while. One of the things that we started so long ago talking about, your understanding, love of, sensitivity to poetry. And if there's an emblem of that, it's your relationship with your friend and colleague Dana Joya. And you have an ear as a musician. But what about poetry? Well, that's interesting because, again, poetry wasn't first. It was music first. And... I started reading poetry much more seriously when I was finally inspired by my beloved teacher, Earl Kim. He said, you need to write some songs, buddy. 
you know, that's how he found his voice by by setting Beckett's texts. And I just started looking at poetry for the inherent music. And once I did that, then I realized, oh, this is a, an amazing art form. And this is very close to my heart. It's very close to what I do as a creator. And I also found that, you know, maybe I'm not such a creative person that having another voice to translate inspires me and inspires what's best in whatever it is that I do. And, and so in some ways it might be slightly lazy to, to want to set poetry all the time because it gives you so much. Uh, and I just find a great joy in translating and, and having to really understand the poetry to the point where you can translate it into another form. Well, you have such a range of poets in these pieces and eminent poets. I always hear it's so hard to get people to say, yes, back it, well, look, hands off and all those sorts of things. What about the nitty gritty part of setting poetry? Uh, you know, everybody's been wonderful. And, and I, I hope I acknowledge it strongly enough in the booklet, in the CD, that, you know, there's a generosity here that I didn't, I, I have been up against poets who haven't been generous. There are songs sitting there that I wrote that I can't have played in public because the poet wasn't generous, but everybody here was, was generous. You know, sometimes when the poet is deceased, as in the case of Richard Wilbury, one goes through the publisher and, you know, they're a little less... They're a little more formal. They ask for something up front. But all the other poets have been just terrific. You know, and with Dana, there's no issue because it's, you know, it's just blanket permission. But David Ferry was so generous. He was so delighted that I was doing this. And meeting him and talking to him was one of, one of, one of the most delightful things that I've ever done in my life. I, I just loved it. Natasha Trethaway, who is extremely famous, Pulitzer Prize winner, former poet laureate, her immediate response was yes, and she's just been great. Cynthia Ryland, uh, again, she's a little bit more reclusive, but again, she was not at all reluctant to give, give permission. So this has been terrific. Uh, you know, and I've had more difficult situations, but in this case, it's, it, was, it was a joy. You just told us how delightful the experience with David Ferry was. Tell us about finding your way to the title and selecting some of the pieces and, and that process. It's, it's a wonderful story. It's a wonderful story because I found David Ferry because I'm an avid reader of the alumni magazines that come to my house from the institutions where I study. And I was reading the Amherst Alumni Magazine and I heard about this, this poet, David Ferry. I saw a poem and I said, I love this poem. So I went and bought all of David Ferry's books and started reading it and I realized, oh, okay, I'm gonna set this poem, this poem, this poem. And I, and I started doing it without permission. And then I, then I called him up and I said, hey buddy, I love your poetry. I've set these, these few pieces. And he, and he was again, delighted that I was doing it and he had no issue with giving me permission. And he said, well, well, Paul, you know, you've done, you, you've, you've chosen three poems that are ekphrastic. And I went, ekphrastic? What does that mean? <laughs> ekphrastic means that, you know, a, a poem describes a painting or some kind of image, a photograph. And, and then the rest of the poems you said have to do with identity. You're, you're just caught onto things. And so what he did was to actually say, you know, you should consider these poems because they're also about, about identity. So in, in some ways, this became a collaboration because he started choosing poems that he thought would be appropriate. And I then molded them into two separate sets. When we got ekphrastic songs was easy because that's what they were. But the ones about identity, we went around songs of identity was dull. And then finding oneself, oneself, one word. And then, then, then David said, no, how about we separate the words finding oneself? Because one of the poems, actually two of the poems 
are about kind of doppelgangers or about schizophrenia, about being two, having two different identities. So it was, it was, that was so much fun. We, we sat in a, in a pub in Brookline where he kind of holds court where actually this pub in Brookline has at, at the eye level, one of his poems and it, it kind of circumnavigates. So anywhere you look, you see some of David Ferry's words. And at that point he was 92 and still absolutely charming and lucid. And he's still with us at 97. You've done some doppelganger work of your own, I think, in a stage work, haven't you, with Dana? Yeah, you, is there anything that you did in setting these poems that was doppelganger-like? Well, there's the, the, the first one in, in the identity is called the charm. And yeah, and so the obvious thing to do is to have a canon between the voice and the and the guitar so that what the guitar sings, then someone sings something else as, as if it's a doppelganger. Actually, one of the most satisfying moments was in a piece that's a reaction to uh, a painting by Watteau called Fête Venitienne, but the, the name of the poem is Civilization and it's Discontents. For some reason, they were talking about a Fête Venitienne. They were talking about a feast in Venice. And I was trying to think of all right, what kind of music would happen in a feast in Venice. And I was just thinking late Renaissance. And so I tried to capture in, in the music, even though it's still in a modernistic style, something that might have sounded with big lutes and harps and stuff that you might have heard in Venice in, you know, maybe 1620. And so that was, that was a fun thing to do, to, again, to cross that style. And one of the joys of this whole CD, I think, is that it, it really does run the gamut of styles. I mean, there's a, a man you know, nasty rock and roll jazz piece called Beyond Words with percussion in it and a bluesy piece, Alley Cat Love Song. And then these very, very sweet, innocent pieces about young people. And, you know, it just, and then something that evokes the, you know, the Baroque or evokes the Renaissance. So if you're going to have a CD where it's just guitar and one voice for an hour of music, you, you have to find ways to make it extremely varied. You have a poem by Apollinaire and the place piece. When you're working with the poem, you inhabit it, you absorb it, you inhale it, and all of those things. Do you have in some way floating around you that Apollinaire was there with the cubists and the symbolists and the surrealists and all of that in some vague way? I think in some vague way. Actually, I, I was much more interested in place because I'd been in Paris the first foreign city I ever visited. I had a summer trip to, to Paris when I was in high school. So it was it was the place and it was it was really the, the romance when you listen to that poem. It is so romantic. And you know, I always think of the bridges in Paris, people strolling along the bridges. It is for me prototypically romantic. So I think that was much more in my mind than the cubists and, and all of that. If if anything, I was more attached to Apollinaire because my my teacher had said Apollinaire. And and you know one of his one of his beautiful songs, "Listen to It Rain," is a, is a setting of an Apollinaire poem, and it's, it's just extraordinarily beautiful. And you and pets, you've just swept people away with what you do with pets, and it's not the obvious. We feel like we're meeting somebody, you know, one of us, a, a personage. Again, I don't get the credit; the poets get the credit because of my allergies. I never had pets. We had cats when I was a kid growing up. I never had a dog. I love cows, but I've never had one as a pet and I've never grown up a cow. So if, if it's persuasive, let's give the poets the credit. 
you didn't take the easy way out. You honored the dogness and you honored the cow. Now, Robert Frost, how about that? What about the rhyming in that Frost poem? Is that do anything to you? Oh, it, uh, Frost always does everything to me. Uh, for, but for me, it's it's the structure of the poem, the fact that it can build to this, you know, spot where the poor cow gets so sick and I could go from this very easy pentatonic thing, you know, way in the low register to try to really capture what the sound of the cow, there's even mooing in the in the way the violin plays the notes. You know, I was just trying to catch her, but the cow gets really sick. And, and you know, when you think about it, it's a vivid image. So sick that the milk dries up. And, and again, the images are so vivid in, in these very simple words that, that how can you not kind of capture that? <laughs> you know, I, I would be a terrible failure not, not to get it. It's, it's just given to you. If, if, you know, if you're willing, and again, you have to kind of let yourself go to say, okay, that's, that's what it is. Let's, let's find the right thing to, to express it. And Natasha Trethaway, could there be anything more visual than after Vermeer's A Maid Asleep? And, and actually, for those of you who are listening, there is a link if you if you get the CD to the actual photographs by Walker Evans from the from something permanent, the Vermeer painting that Trethaway describes, and the three paintings from ekphrastic songs that you know uh, two by Watto, the other by Millet. And there's also slideshows that go through that kind of take you through the painting. But you can just look at the painting. I I cannot strongly recommend enough your listeners to go, it's it's on my website and you, you can see the paintings. It's, you would understand those poems and the songs from those poems so much better, especially the Trethewing. It's so wonderfully complex because the, the Vermeer is a, is a painting about a woman who's maybe sleeping, maybe drunk, but it was painted over something else. And, and Trethewing uses that as the metaphor for this argument, this kind of violent argument she had with her dad. It is, it is an extraordinary poem, it's an extraordinary painting, it's an extraordinary idea, and realized by truly an extraordinary artist. And repentance. When I was talking to Jessica Noren about a subsequent concert that had no peace of mind on it, I said, well, you gotta put a peace of mind on it. You've never done a concert without a peace of mind. I said, what would you choose? And they immediately said repentance. I was surprised that they didn't choose, you know, Alley Cat Love Song. I think it's because it's, it's rich and, and deep and complex. How about the exchange? Because you give them the new works, for example. They work it out themselves. They have your markings and things like that. How about that kind of interaction with them when you're creating something for them for the first time? Well, it's, it's a collaboration, believe me. So many things get changed after the first iteration. If it doesn't fit the fingers for Oren, if it's an impossible thing to play, because you know I've, I've heard it in my head, but it's not necessarily physically possible, we'll figure, we'll try lots of things out until we get it right. With Jessica, more and more, I know what lies right correctly in her voice. When I first started writing for her, there were things I was writing that were too high. And and, and as I listened to her voice, I realized this unbelievable richness in the low register. That's extraordinary that I never heard of a, a woman sing with that kind of beauty in that register. And so the beginning of, of the Apollinaire, I just start on her lowest note because I just want it to be so sexy and, and romantic. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of that back and forth, a lot of changing of the dynamics just to make sure that the expression is going to be correct. Once in a while, a little change in the rhythm. Yeah, and, and you know, we're so now natural with each other and so connected to each other that there's never any issue of, of ego involved. It's just, okay, this is, this is the best way to do this. We're going to do it this way. 
Well, tell us about the, and they're anything but extras, but Miles is here and Miranda. Miranda Cookson, right. Miranda Cookson is one of the great new music violinists in New York City. And so it was really a, a kind of treat and an honor to have her on this. Bad Pets, I, there's a version of Bad Pets for just guitar and singer, but it's it's hard. There's so much to do. And having that other voice, especially an instrument that can bend the pitches and slide pitches for the bluesy parts of things and, and just having that, that extra voice was was something very cool. So, and actually, I, I hadn't written it for Miranda. I'd written it because Oren and Jessica were playing up at the Taconic Music Festival and they wanted a piece but they wanted a piece that would involve one of the other players. And so I actually wrote that before we did the CD for, for that purpose. And they liked it so much that we said, okay, let's put it on the CD. Wow, so this was really for comfort's sake. And also because, you know, nepotistic, I wanted my, my beloved son on, on the CD. The, the piece Beyond Words actually is performable by just Jessica and Oren. And Jessica plays the percussion parts as she sings. It's a tour de force. But in the studio, that's hard to get right uh, and also hard to separate. So it was it was a practical decision to, to get a professional percussionist to do it. And you know, he was, of course, terrific at it. Well, you were talking about sustaining an instrumentalist and a vocalist for an hour and the variety here. You've chosen to start with bad pets, you end with bad pets, and you take us on a journey that makes sense. If you were thinking of it as one large work, would it have the same kinds of variety and things that go into that? Yeah, you put your finger on a very large and intricate discussion with with the amazing engineer we had, Adam Abe's house, who's, you know, I can't tell you how many Grammys he's won. What do you do when you make a CD? Well, the first thing he says, you got to grab them right at the beginning. <laughs> you don't, you don't want to lose them. So we figured one of the pets had to appear just, just to make sure that people, you know, were attracted. Oh, this is going to be fun. This is not going to be very serious modern music all the time with all, all this dissonant stuff and something's going to happen. One of the big considerations was that some cycles really rely on how one piece you know, morphs into another or connects to another. And in the Cynthia Ryland, you know, I spent a lot of time making sure I would get that so that not only the difference in tempos and keys, but in ethos. And, and there were a little connection. So for instance, when we go from the end of Apartment, where she's talking about a lover, the next song, which is called Bed, takes takes exactly the music of the lover and, and makes it into the love scene that happens in, in that. And that the babies that are produced as a result in the song called Bed become the babies in the lullaby that finishes the piece. So there's there's a kind of dramatic arc and a musical arc within that set. Same thing in the in the fairy set. In bad pets, you could take one or the other pets and stick them wherever you want to stick them. There's there's not a connection between the cat and the dog and, and the cow. So I didn't do that. And in the in the set that's the city scenes, again, when they're played together, there is a kind of architecture where it starts with a calm, sweet, peaceful European city, then it goes to a very tense piece in Moscow, and then a very calm piece in Rome, and then a very tense piece in, in New York. But they, they, they didn't have any motivic or kind of rhythmic connection. They were all really separate items, so I could separate them. So that was, that was one of the big considerations. What can you separate? What, what has to go together? 
and leave them laughing with Sally Cat Love Song. I, I, I hope people will enjoy it. You know, I, I, I don't want to write, I don't write music for, for people to be bored. I want them to be laughing and I want them to be dancing and once in a while crying. <laughs> They're so moved. Composer Paul Salerni, the National Endowment for the Humanities Distinguished Chair in the Humanities, Professor of Music at Lehigh University in Bethlehem. He is someone who speaks with us often on WVIA. He has been here, in fact, and performed at the WVIA studios. He is someone who studied with the esteemed composer Earl Kim, and Salerni is dedicated to keeping the music of Earl Kim Alive. Dr. Salerni has just released an album titled Paul Salerni, People, Places, and Pets, featuring the Bowers-Fader duo, Jessica Bowers and Oren Fader. And we had a chance to speak with Paul Salerni about the album and about what it means to him to set poetry. If you're interested in learning more about the recording, it is on the Bridge Records label, and that's bridgerecords.com bridgerecords.com and you can learn more about Dr. Salerni by checking the website of Lehigh University lehigh.edu lehigh.edu and Salerni is S-A-L-E-R-N-I People, Places, and Pets with the Bowers Fader Duo music of Paul Salerni on the Bridge Records label bridgerecords.com bridgerecords.com